You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. We gotta live on science Welcome to Unbiased Science, where we bring scientific method to the madness. We're your hosts, Dr. Jessica Steyer and Dr. Andrea Love. And today we are tackling a topic that we get asked about all the time, CBD. Before we get into it, really quick recap of last week's episode. If you haven't already tuned in, check it out. We basically do a status update on monkeypox and polio. And Andrea, I feel like it was a relatively optimistic, positive episode. Yes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So definitely check that out if you have not already. But let's get into it. So just very quickly to set the stage here, let's talk about the CBD industry, which is booming, it's flourishing. Um, Conservative estimates project that it's going to hit $16 billion in the U.S. alone by 2025. I actually just went to a farmer's market last weekend, and I I don't know, 50% of the booths, it was like CBD tinctures, CBD chocolate, CBD everything. (laughs) CBD is everywhere. I've seen like CBD bath you know, bath salts, bath bombs, like all sorts of things that you can find that are, you know, supposedly infused with CBD. Right. So salves, sprays, tinctures, and oils containing CBD are marketed for a wide variety of ailments and conditions, some touted as an aphrodisiac to boost sexual desire, as bombs for eczema, pimples, and hot flashes, and even as treatments for diseases such as diabetes, multiple sclerosis, and some even claim that CBD can cure cancer. Obviously, we're going to get into all that. We're going to turn to the evidence. Before we do that, Andrea, can you sort of set the stage? You know, what is CBD? Yes. So CBD stands for cannabidiol, um, and this is a molecule. It is one of the two best-known active compounds that are derived from the cannabis sativa plant. So the cannabis sativa plant is more often known as the marijuana plant. And this plant, obviously, there's evidence that this plant has been used medicinally, therapeutically, for rituals, starting in Central Asia from 750 BC. So as I mentioned, cannabis sativa is part of, it's a plant in the, you know, it's the marijuana plant. There's more than 80 different chemical compounds that have been identified from this plant. And of course, the two most commonly known are our Delta 9 tetrahydrocannabinol, which is our THC, and cannabidiol, which is CBD. So CBD and THC are both two different chemical compounds that are both isolated from the cannabis sativa plant which is also often called the marijuana plant. So marijuana, different from CBD. CBD, also different from THC. CBD is a single chemical, a single molecule from that plant. THC, also a single molecule from that plant. There are also many other molecules that come from that plant. Typically, when we're talking about CBD versus THC, THC is considered the psychoactive chemical from the marijuana plant, and that is what produces a high, whether that is a psychological, psychiatric, or a body high. We're going to talk more about all of that 
on a future episode. But CBD is typically non considered non-psychoactive, and we will get more into that. When I was reading up on, on CBD, I see some people, it's it sort of contested whether it should be classified as psychoactive. Some people say it is psychoactive, but it doesn't get you intoxicated. It definitely does not produce that same high that THC does. So Correct. Okay. So you can, as we sort of alluded to, you can take or ingest CBD in a variety of ways. So the usual CBD formulation is oil. Most people take it sublingually where you just place the oil under your tongue and then you can allow the oil to stay there for up to a minute before you swallow it. Other people take it orally by swallowing capsules or by adding CBD oil to their food or drink. Um, some people even take CBD suppositories. Uh, that that was a new one for me. I didn't realize that people do that, but um, yeah, they they do. So other ways to ingest CBD, and Andrea, I know later you're going to talk a bit about how CBD is absorbed mm-hmm. into our system, but just to sort of set the stage. So some people take it topically by applying lotion, salves, or balms directly to their skin. Others take it transdermally where they take um, CBD patches and then the CBD penetrates the skin and then gets into your bloodstream, of course. So picture like a nicotine patch. And other people inhale it as a vaporized liquid. So basically food, snacks, drinks, beauty products, as you said, bath bombs. I mean, you name it. There are so many CBD infused products, cheeseburgers, gums, chocolate, candies, (laughs) breath mints, lollipops, and even toothpicks. All right. You want to get into some molecular biology, don't you? I do. I do. Before we get into, like, the regulation and the formulation and things like that. So, you know, want to talk a little bit about, you know, why there's interest in CBD as a potential therapeutic or, you know, why it's gotten attention as something that can supposedly cure all these ailments. So, both cannabidiol, which is CBD, and THC have the exact same chemical formula, They have 21 carbon molecules, 30 hydrogen molecules, and two oxygen molecules. So if you just looked at the formula, you saw C21, H30, O2, it could be either or. So it's really important to remember that the actual number of atoms does not dictate the property of a chemical. It's the orientation of those atoms and how they interact with our body that is how they dictate the properties and the impact of these molecules. And so we'll put this up on our website, but THC and CBD, yes, they have the same number of atoms. They're very differently organized, and that ultimately impacts how they interact and how they affect our body. So as I mentioned, CBD is considered non-psychoactive, but the interest has grown because there is some evidence that cannabinoids in particular, cannabinoids are a large class of molecules that include cannabidiol, as well as tetrahydrocannabinol, which is THC, there's some evidence that they're beneficial for a range of things, such as pain, uh, inflammation, epilepsy, sleep disorders, MS, other sorts of psychological issues, etc. So some of the reason that this has gained attention is because we have receptors in our body called the endocannabinoid receptors. And endo just stands for endogenous. And endogenous means self-produced or self, uh, self-metabolized. So basically, we have receptors in our body that respond to molecules in the cannabinoid family. And we actually produce some of those molecules. So there's 
the very first one that was discovered that our own bodies produce is called anandamide. And this was actually named after the Sanskrit word ananda, which means bliss. So amide just means it's in the amine family. But basically, we have a whole class of these. And these molecules, these cannabinoids, are actually metabolized from various things that our body ingests or produces and so on and so forth. So we actually produce and have cannabis-like or CBD-like molecules in our brains and in our bodies. So there are two main classes of receptors that respond to these molecules. There are the cannabinoid receptors 1 and cannabinoid receptor 2. So cannabinoid receptor 1 are is found predominantly in the central nervous system. In contrast, the cannabinoid receptor 2s are typically found in our peripheral system. So in circulating immune cells, in the spleen, and in cells that are derived from immune cells such as bone cells um, and particular types of liver cells called Kupfer cells. So typically, cannabinoid receptor 1 is found widespread in the central nervous system, so the brain. The cannabinoid receptor 2 is really only found in the brain stem and specific cells in the hippocampus. Interestingly, though, cannabinoid receptor 2 is induced, meaning expression of it, that receptor, increases following inflammation or injury or potentially infection. So basically, our body's like, hey, we may be starting to produce more of these cannabinoids, these endocannabinoid molecules that our body's normally producing, so we need more of these receptors to respond. So of course, it stands to reason that taking in external sources of cannabinoids, such as CBD, and even THC could have some sort of physiological effect on our body. So that's kind of the reason that there is interest in it. So, of course, now it comes under scrutiny as we are doing research on it and and things like that. So as we mentioned, CBD can come from marijuana. And of course, there's an issue because currently THC is regulated, right? So CBD can also be derived from hemp, which is a related plant, but it does not have high levels of THC. It's typically 0.3% or less of THC. And hemp is often used to make fabrics, um, to make rope. I don't know if anybody ever made like hemp necklaces in high school like I did, but Again, you can find twine made out of hemp as well. Right. And we'll we'll talk about THC on a, on a future episode. I, as you just said, it's not federally legal at this mm-hmm. time, right? It's left up to the states. But in 2018, it was a, a very big deal. Congress made hemp legal in all 50 states. It was called the 2018 Farm Bill. Yes. And this was a big deal because in 2014, industrial hemp was legalized, but only for research and development for R&D. So between 2014 and 2018, basically, people were importing CBD from other places. In particular, we were uh, importing quite a bit from China, but then when it would get here and it'd be tested, they were finding high levels of heavy metals, so it was deemed unusable. And then they were importing from other places in Europe, but then you're dealing with all of the you know international trade issues and all that stuff. So 2018, Congress made hemp legal. 
illegal. And so consequently, CBD derived from hemp is also legal. So any CBD that has that's derived from hemp, it has to have less than 0.3% of THC, otherwise it's not legal. And just as an aside, we know, you know, there's been some random testing of CBD products and there are such fluctuations in the amount of THC and in fact some products were found to have THC levels higher than 0.3% and not labeled as such. So that that makes me a, a little nervous, right, in, in terms of the lack of standardized um, regulation of CBD products. There are three main types of CBD on the market. So there's full spectrum CBD, which is all the components of the cannabis plant, including up to 0.3% of THC, broad spectrum CBD, which is all the components of the plant except THC, and then CBD isolate, which is pure CBD with no other compounds from the cannabis plant. I think this kind of leads us into some of our herd from the herd questions. And I think we've alluded to some of this, right, where we've got this endocannabinoid system, we've got these receptors throughout our body. If you guys have seen our post on runner's high, um, which used to be thought to be primarily mediated by endorphins, it actually turns out that runner's high, this feeling of euphoria you get after exercise actually seems to be mediated by the endocannabinoid system, meaning our body is producing endogenous cannabinoid molecules, which signal through those receptors and make us feel good. So, you know, then there's the question, okay, well, CBD is an endo, it's not an endocannabinoid, but it's a cannabinoid and it can signal through the endocannabinoid receptors. So, you know, one of our herd members wants to know, does CBD get you high? And I will answer that. Um, <laughs> so as we sort of said at the beginning of the episode, it does not get you high. CBD itself does not get you high. But again, as I said earlier, the idea that it's not at all psychoactive is sometimes debated because some say that it does change your consciousness and people report feeling mellow, experiencing less pain, uh, feeling more comfortable less anxious. I don't know if that really means that you're changing your consciousness. I guess this there's sort of semantics here, but the, the fact is it does not get you high, right? You know, obviously that feeling high or whatever, I think is also a little bit subjective, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, you know, other folks from our herd wanted to know, you know, why is it that people even use CBD in the first place? Why is it used? And so more than 60% of CBD users take Take it for anxiety. And this is based on a survey of 5,000 people conducted by the Brightfield Group that is a cannabis market research firm. And then that's followed by chronic pain, insomnia, and depression. And obviously, you guys want to know, is there evidence that CBD is effective for any of those outcomes? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
it. So what what we found, and um, Andrew, I'm sure you'll agree to this, is that the research has not really caught up to the production of CBD, right? Oh, yeah. The demand for CBD is there. It's everywhere. And the science just hasn't really caught up. So there's a there's a great quote from a review about the efficacy, the therapeutic efficacy of CBD. And this this is a, a large-scale review that looks at clinical data, preclinical data, and so on and so forth. And we will obviously link to this study or this review, but I like this quote, and we'll talk a little bit about some of the details here, but CBD product industry has experienced tremendous growth in part because CBD has been widely touted as an effective therapeutic for a myriad of health conditions. To date, though, only one CBD product, and we'll talk about this in a second, has been actually approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration for human use. So let's get into the research. So the majority of research on CBD has been conducted in animals. There have been some human trials. Many of them are very small. I know we'll talk um, we'll talk more about that in just a second. But let's just do a rundown of some of the potential benefits. So here's a summary of the research. There is some preliminary evidence to suggest that CBD may improve sleep in people with insomnia, but more research is needed. You're going to hear that refrain (laughs) quite a bit right now. Addiction. Some studies have found that CBD may alleviate cravings for opioids, for alcohol, stimulants, nicotine, and cannabis. More research is needed. Research on CBD for chronic pain is, is really mixed. Some studies have shown promising results. But again, more human research is needed to be more definitive there. Now, anxiety, since this is the primary reason why people are taking CBD, there is some evidence to suggest that at high doses, CBD may alleviate anxiety, uh, particularly in people with, with chronic pain, and to also help decrease social anxiety. As for depression, preliminary studies on CBD suggest that it could be helpful for depression, like antidepressants medications, it appears that CBD alters serotonin levels in the brain. Epilepsy. Now, we're going to talk more about this in a second because the the only approved CBD product relates to treatment for epilepsy. So we'll talk about that in a moment. But CBD has been shown to be effective for treating seizures associated with certain forms of epilepsy that don't respond well to other medications. And that's obviously very exciting because if you have patients with epilepsy and they don't have a lot of options, this, this could be promising. But I just wanted to quote Dr. Oren Davinsky. He's the director of the NYU Langone Comprehensive Epilepsy yep. Center. He led the clinical trials on the drug. And I know I'm sort of putting the cart before the horse here, but the one <laughs> CBD product that has been FDA approved, he even went out of his way. He led that clinical trial and he went out of his way to say that the drug's effect was not miraculous. So basically he said uh, there's certainly data that CBD CBD has a variety of anti-inflammatory effects, but whether that translates into improving human health is unknown. Does it help people with eczema, rheumatoid arthritis, and ulcerative colitis? We don't know. There's good theoretical basis, but the studies have not been done. Obviously, since we kind of started this, like now I want to talk about the clinical trial data that led to this FDA approval of the only CBD-based drug. So in 2018, and we'll get into more of the regulation of other CBD products, but Very broadly speaking, aside from this one CBD product, everything else is 
a supplement, which are not regulated, if you remember from our supplement, and it's illegal for them to make health or therapeutic claims. So there is only one CBD-based drug that has FDA approval, and it is solely to treat two severe forms of drug-resistant epilepsy. One is called Lennox-Gastaut syndrome, and the other one's called Dravet syndrome. And this is um, FDA-approved for the use in, in people two and older. Uh, it's an oral solution of CBD. And this is a purified version of cannabidiol, CBD, and, and the drug is called um, Epidiolex. So basically, we'll put the actual published clinical trial data, um, but this is for children and young adults who have failed to control their epilepsy, and this is convulsive epilepsy, so seizures with convulsions on three to four different drug regimens. So for one of these, Dravet syndrome, so these are very rare epileptic disorders, so the clinical trial enrolled 120 individuals. They found the median frequency of convulsive seizures per month decreased from 12.4 on average to 5.9 with the cannabidiol, and this was compared to a decrease from 14.9 to 14.1 with the placebo. They found that the percentage of patients who had at least a 50% reduction in convulsive seizure frequency was 43% with the cannabidiol, but it was also 27% with placebo. There were a variety of adverse events, diarrhea, vomiting, fatigue, pyrexia, sleep disorders, and as, as well as abnormal liver function results, and we'll talk a little bit about why that might be. And there were actually more trial withdrawals in the cannabidiol group than the placebo group. So again, the lead researcher, you know, said that the drug was not miraculous. There was some improvement. It was not amazing. But you also have to remember that these are drug resistant epileptic patients with convulsive seizures. So, you know, at that point, there is a demonstrated benefit, whether or not that's completely biological or placebo, um, you know, is still trying to be sussed out. And I think that also brings up this really important point is that CBD may cause a placebo effect. There are several studies that actually showed an anticipatory benefit, meaning people are expecting to get CBD and they report feeling better even if they didn't receive CBD. Placebo effect is a very real thing. Oh, yes, it is. Um, we have some posts on it if you want to search our database linked in our uh, Instagram bio. Yeah, so I, I think that my main takeaway from all this is that, again, the demand for CBD has outpaced the science. There is some preliminary evidence that there are some benefits. But, you know, the FDA is really cracking down because people make really wild claims about CBD that are completely unsubstantiated, such as, you know, uh, that, that it treats things like Parkinson's or schizophrenia or diabetes, MS, cancer. There's absolutely no evidence of that. And delaying actual treatments for these things is obviously extremely dangerous. But in terms of things like anxiety, um, maybe some insomnia and a couple of the other outcomes we mentioned, some preliminary evidence, but again, we really need some more research. It's also important to note that this one medication, Epidiolex, this is regulated for safety, purity, dosage, etc. And that is not true for all of the other CBD supplements, which are over-the-counter and not regulated by the FDA. Well, and that's so huge. There's such variability across products. The labels are not being regulated. And as we mentioned earlier, THC levels are sort of variable and don't always match up to what is 
is being labeled. So that's really what concerns me quite a bit. Okay, Andrea, we had some questions about absorption of CBD. Mm -hmm. Can you just speak about that? You know, is there a best way to either ingest or take CBD? (laughs) Yeah. So, so again, the science hasn't fully caught up. I think this is kind of the general theme, but generally speaking, CBD is not very bioavailable orally, meaning if you just consume it, it will actually be partially metabolized in your GI tract before it actually enters the bloodstream. So, Most data, of course, most supplements are often ingestion, but there is now research that is looking into more feasible or more bioavailable methods of administration, such as transdermal, so something that's applied topically that might be able to get in through capillaries in your skin, Um, intranasal, where you have mucous membranes and it can easily get into the bloodstream, as well as transmucosal. So transmucosal means across a mucous membrane, and so as Jess was describing, the sublingual method where you put it underneath your tongue and you let it essentially dissolve and diffuse there as opposed to simply swallowing it. Those are kind of where the science is going. But again, there isn't a ton of data that definitively says, okay, well, this is the only method that CBD can be available to those endocannabinoid receptors in your body. All right. So now I want to turn to a question that we heard from the herd. This one came from Nicole, and she's asking, what risks are there for short and long-term use of CBD? So most commonly reported side effects of CBD are nausea, fatigue, and irritability. But by far the most concerning side effect of CBD is that it can have broad drug interactions. And Andrea, I know you're going to get into the science of that in a a moment, Um, but I just want to note that it can react with a lot of common medications people take, such as pain medications, psychiatric medications, blood thinners, antihistamines, and more. And because research on this is, is sort of, you know, it's still emerging, there is a list of medications but the list is not exhaustive and there may Mm -hmm. be other medications. So you always, always want to check with your um, medical provider first, but just a couple, and there's a list and we could add this to our show notes, of course, but lithium is on the list, methadone, tamoxifen, and warfarin. I mean, those Mm -hmm. are just a few. So that's something to be aware of. Tell us why. All right. So... CBD, cannabidiol, interacts with a very important enzyme in our body, which is cytochrome P450-3A4. So cytochrome P450s are enzymes that are critical for metabolizing 60% of all things that we ingest. So small foreign organic molecules, that includes medications, prescribed drugs, but it also is involved in metabolizing bile acids and other things in our GI system system. So the cytochrome P450 enzymes are a large family. The one that is most inhibited by CBD is this CYP3A4, so cytochrome P450-3A4. And that one is actually responsible for about half of the metabolism that the cytochrome P450 enzymes metabolize. And so it metabolizes things 
as benign as acetaminophen to cyclosporin to erythromycin to codeine. So it's like a whole class of different molecules. It also metabolizes steroids, including cholesterols and steroids that we produce, but also ingested steroids like medications. It also helps to metabolize and and detoxify carcinogens that we might encounter and things like that. So the concern is if CBD inhibits this very critical enzyme that is involved for metabolic catabolism and detoxification in our liver. So cytochrome P450 are predominantly found in our liver and in our small intestine. So really critical areas of our metabolic and, and digestive processes. If CBD inhibits this enzyme, it could potentially have very far reaching implications for anybody who is taking any of these medications that are metabolized by the cytochrome P450 enzyme. So if you are inhibiting that enzyme, then your body may not be able to properly metabolize and excrete them. um, And therefore, that can lead to the accumulation of those parent drugs that should normally be excreted very easily by our liver and by our excretory system. But if it's not being excreted because we're inhibiting the activity, it can lead to accumulation and potential toxicity, particularly in the liver. And that's potentially why we saw some increases in liver function tests in that that clinical trial we referred to. So in addition to all of this, CBD products, as we have noted, may contain harmful impurities like pesticides and bacteria, which of course come with additional risk. So as a result, it is not recommended to take CBD products if you're pregnant or breastfeeding. So just a few things per the FDA, CBD can cause liver injury, can affect how other drugs you're taking work, potentially causing serious side effects. Use of CBD with alcohol or other drugs that slow brain activity, such as those used to treat anxiety, panic, stress, or sleep disorders, may uh, increases the risk of sedation and drowsiness, which can lead to injuries. And then finally, uh, male reproductive toxicity or damage to fertilities in males or male offspring of women who have been exposed has been reported in studies of animals exposed to CBD. So again, you know, TBD, whether (laughs) the CBD, whether that (laughs) translates from animals to humans. So there are just, there are so many unknowns with CBD. I feel like it's like the wild west right now, you know? It totally is. It absolutely is. So I think we talked about regulation. Basically, there is no regulation except for that one Um, FDA-approved drug. And that's, of course, (laughs) a big issue, right? So CBD, it's illegal to market CBD by adding it to a food or labeling it as a dietary supplement. And so there's not a lot of rigorous controlled evidence for therapeutic efficacy. There is lack of regulation for all of these supplements that you find. So, of course, you know, buyer beware, I think, is kind of the big takeaway with regard to regulation and and over-the-counter CBD supplements. So the last thing I think that we want to tackle is the, the growing popularity of CBD being used for, for pets. Yes. Um, and I know we, we could differentiate between cats and dogs. Um, I, there are some differences there. And there have been some recent trials, but I know they're very small, and I know you, you want to comment on that. But just, just a couple of things. So research is limited. Um, there is some promising research. I feel like it's very similar to what, we, what we've been saying about <laughs> humans. But in its pure state, CBD appears to be safe and well-tolerated by animals. This is according to a 2017 World Health Organization report. But then there were subsequent reports of um, canine studies in particular.
particular that noted an increase in the liver enzymes and sort of that goes along with what you were just saying, Andrea, so that CBD treatments may not be a good idea for dogs with existing liver issues. And then the other big issue is THC toxicity, because even though CBD products are legally, they they must not contain more than 0.3% THC, because of the lack of regulation, there there are some inconsistencies there. And we know that animals can be poisoned by THC, and there are symptoms of that, such as vomiting, diarrhea, lethargy, restlessness, and trouble standing. And with regard to cats, there have really been no efficacy studies that have been done. The very first study on CBD in cats was a safety study, and this was in 2021, so just last year. It included 20 cats with five different dosage groups, so four cats in each group. Um, They basically found that it was generally safe up to, I think, 30 milligrams per kilogram of CBD. But again, that was just looking at tolerability. So there's no data right now that suggests that it's efficacious in cats for any medical ailment. For me personally, as someone who has seven cats, (laughs) and there are so many things that are metabolized so differently by animals than humans. I mean, for example, lilies, even just a pollen grain of a lily plant can cause kidney toxicity in cats almost immediately. It's just not worth the risk without more robust data that it, one, is safe, and two, it actually has a therapeutic benefit for some reason. Same. Um, I am the proud mama of four dogs and two cats. So I also, I'm not going to be reaching for CBD products for my pets. Um, The theme that I'm seeing is that it's probably not too harmful for most pets, except those with liver issues. But really, we don't know for sure. There's not a ton of evidence either way, um, either showing that they really work (laughs) either. So yeah, I'm I'm not super convinced or swayed by the evidence. So we've got a lot more to say, um, particularly about THC and something that I'm I'm sure a lot of folks have heard about, which is Delta 8 THC. We are going to talk about that next week on our part two, which is going to dig more into the other side of the cannabis plant. But I think with regard to cannabidiol, CBD, the big takeaway is that rigorous controlled evidence for the therapeutic efficacy of CBD is lacking for many health conditions. As of right now, there's only one FDA-approved treatment option that is CBD-based, and that is for a very rare, specific, drug-resistant form of epilepsy. There are possible concerns with the use of CBD as a therapeutic, particularly with regard to adverse effects. Liver toxicity, I think, is a common theme that we're discussing here. A lot of that is with regard to possible drug interactions. And of course, because these are sold as supplements, there is a lack of regulatory and standardization oversight on all of these retail products. All right, Andrea, I think we covered a lot of ground and I'm excited for next week's episode. Do you want to take us home? Sure. So if you want more unbiased science, please check out our Substack subscription. We do try to post some extended content there. But the big perk is you get added to our private Facebook group and you also get a chance to vote on future podcast topic episodes as well as submit questions for our Heard from the Herd segments. We also regularly respond 
respond to question and comments from subscribers. So you'll have a direct line to Jess and myself. So check it out at Substack at theunbiasedipod.substack.com. So next episode, we will tackle the other half of the coin or the other side of the coin, THC with a special focus on Delta 8 THC as well. We will continue to provide updates on COVID-19 as well as a variety of other topics on our social media accounts. So be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Unbiased SciPod. Catch you next time on the pod, your trusted source for no nonsense, just science. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist.